0: The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622.
1: All right, welcome back to... uh... A long-awaited eighth edition, I believe, or seventh edition, maybe. Mason, it's they're uh, they're all running together these days um, of the Golden Homer's podcast. I uh, Apologize for the hiatus. Um, I was out of town a couple of weeks back, and um, you know, Mason had some had some traveling and stuff like that that he was doing for work. Um, so we just haven't really been able to coordinate over the last. You know, several weeks, but obviously a lot to talk about.
0: Um, Life gets in the way sometimes. We're we're, we're glad to be back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But on the bright side of things, that does make it to where we do have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Um, uh, Notre Dame went out and uh, handled Wisconsin, I guess, to an extent um, after our last show. And then went right after that and lost to Cincinnati at home, breaking their their long uh, home streak um, that they've had since I believe 2017 or whatever it is. And then, um, and then played a, I think a fairly pretty, a a fairly good game against Virginia tech, considering it was on the road, um, you know, quality ACC opponent, one of the better ACC teams over the last, you know, 10, 10 to 15 years, just in general. Um, and Virginia tech always gives Notre Dame, um, a, a tough game, it seems. So, um, I think that was a quality win. Um, but, but like I mentioned a lot to just digest from that game and, uh, everything happening over the last several weeks. So, um, Mason, uh, I'll let you kind of kick this off just with some, maybe with some thoughts and, you know, just, you know, we'll and we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. I think I'd be in this, if I didn't mention right away, just the quarterback controversy, it seems like Notre Dame has it figured out one week and then there's, a, they go a completely different way. So, um, Pine comes in against, against Wisconsin, looks good, and ultimately leads Notre Dame to the win. Of course, the, the pick sixes help a ton, and the score lines I meant to say that a minute ago. The score line against Wisconsin was misleading, but I'll never complain about having a big win against a, a good team in Wisconsin that's maybe having a down year. However, um, yeah, Pine comes in and, and helps Notre Dame get the win. It doesn't look great against Cincinnati, although I'm not so sure that any of the three quarterbacks would have looked great against Cincinnati. So then, you know, the following week after that, it, it, then it turns into the Buckner and Cone show, and Buckner flashed. And uh, I, I like what I see in him. He's still making some freshman mistakes, but you're, you're going to have that no matter who the freshman quarterback is. So I like to see him growing, and I, I can excuse some of those mistakes. I think you'll agree with me here, Nathan, that I can, I can excuse some of those mistakes that Buckner makes considering he is a freshman with a very high ceiling. But then the mistakes that Jack Cone is making, I, I just can't have it. Being as old and experienced as he is, that, that doesn't roll with me.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, been a really interesting just like quarterback carousel of sorts, um, yeah. you know, for Notre Dame to start the year. I mean, obviously, you know, you start the year at Florida State. Jack Cone outside of maybe kind of a shaky first quarter. So plays a really, really nice game. It was really the defense that sort of let Notre Dame down, and then we were all like, "Okay, well, if that's if that's going to be the way the offense plays all year, we're in really good shape because the defense will, will get its shit together." We weren't really expecting the defense right. to, you know, to kind of be porous like they were um, specifically in that second half against Florida State, and then Jack Cohn goes out the, the next week against Toledo, and you know, isn't isn't awful, ends up leading the game-winning drive, you know, and people are still kind of feeling whatever about him. And, you know, and thinking that, you know, at least the offense is probably in good shape. Again, it was another kind of maybe another aspect of the defense really needing to figure it out. But then ever since then, I mean, the Purdue game on, I would say there's been this like, is Jack Cohn the guy? The defense has figured it out. Should Notre Dame ride with, with, and I think at the time it was probably like, okay, let's ride with the, with the young guy Buckner because we didn't really know what Drew Pine was all about. And yeah. then, Drew Pine comes in against Wisconsin, lights it up. You know, for whatever I think the the almost the entire second half looked, just looked like calm, poised. You know, whatever you want to call it, and you know everybody's like, okay. So Pine is essentially a better cone because he can be sort of like a mini Ian Book. Bro. Um, and then, you know, and then and then we're we're wondering what the uh, <laughs> what's going to go on in regards to. You know this this quarterback carousel, and and Kelly continues to ride Cone, looks looks bad again, (laughs) and then, you know, eventually we're at the we're at this uh, you know the game this past week against Virginia Tech, where again they decide to play they decide to play Cone again, but then in the in the second half or after three drives whatever it was, they bring in Buckner, like kind of uh ignites the offense of of sorts. And, you know, and, and now it's just like, okay, we're obviously we're not Notre Dame's not going to go with pine. I think that's pretty clear at this point. It's either going to be cone with, with Buck Buckner sprinkled in, or it's going to be a mix of both of them um, like almost like a 50, 50 split or, or they might just ride Buckner. Um, and, and that's where I don't know where I'm really at in this whole debate. Um, part of me wants to say that pine is, just roll with pine because for this year, at least specifically, he's the guy that can probably win you the most games on a consistent basis and make the offense look sharp on a consistent basis. But then the other part of me is like, well, just play the freshman, get him rolling, you know, for next year. And he's the guy that provides the most upside from an athletic standpoint, from an arm talent standpoint, from a rec- um, You know, and you ride that into next year. Um, and and beyond, and you might have your level quarterback.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. I think it depends where the Notre Dame staff wants to go, right? So do you want – I see Drew Pine as more Ian Book, and it's tough to slander Ian Book because he's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. So you don't want more winning? Of course I want more winning. But at the same time, I think the floor for a normal Notre Dame season is 10 wins now. As as the team stands, as the depth is, Notre Dame has the talent now to – be a consistent 10 win team and all credit to Brian Kelly for that. However, I think Buckner is the guy at the moment that it looks like he can be the guy that takes you over the top. And Drew Pine is going to keep you right in the middle level of you're almost there, but you're not quite there. And that kind of quarterback is fine. Like a guy like Mac Jones at Alabama, who's not going to light it up by himself, but he has all these star receivers around him. Notre Dame doesn't have that quite yet. You need a guy like Buckner that's going to light the world on fire and and do his thing, and he's going to go out and win games for you, or at least has the potential to do so. So it really depends on what the staff wants to do, and I think they've kind of made it known. Nathan, you've had a way better feel on this than I have, admittedly. You said a while back, a couple months ago, that you thought the staff always wanted it to be Buckner, and I didn't necessarily believe you, but I, I kind of see the light in that now
1: yeah no i mean and, and i'm not gonna i don't really want to toot my ho- my own horn in this instance um
0: no you have you know, to know but
1: I, I it was more so i mean i had I, you know i think both because of the positions we've been in over the last several years we both had some um you know some sources that like to give us info every now and then And this one yeah. specific source was was let, was telling me that the staff really wanted to ride uh buckner but that was also previously to his uh, COVID, uh, canceled senior season where they thought that he would have, you know, a full two seasons under his belt of probably elite level play at the high school level, senior season going into play, better competition at Helix, um, where Reggie Bush and Alex Smith both both played their high school ball. And it just seemed like it was going to be that would, would essentially push for, for playing time, you know, and then obviously, like I said, he, senior season. He comes in, Notre Dame makes the, makes the call to, to Jack Cohn as a, as a transfer, a fifth year senior who, you know, in all, for all intent and purposes, has had a pretty solid, you know, college football career. So it felt like a nice bridge of sorts where, you know, they'd be able to ride Jack Cohn for a year and then move on to Buckner. Um, And I don't want to necessarily say that Jack Cohn has done this to himself. I mean, I think with a better offensive line, and stuff like that, you'd probably see just better quarterback play out of him in general. So it's, it's somewhat been forced from that um, in that regard. Um, but at the same time, I think Buckner has shown enough when he's been on the field and probably in practice and stuff like that as he continues to learn the playbook, you know, that maybe he's the guy that you need to ride. Um, he, and, and honestly, maybe this year he gives you the best opportunity to win games later on once he's able to you – know, get a few starts under his wing, you know and, and so on and so forth or under, I should say um but yeah, I mean I I'd, I'd really like to see where Buck you know 5 6 games from now when hopefully Notre Dames, you know, 9 and 1, 10 and 1, 11 and 1 maybe you know going in bowl game, I mean he's going to have there should be way, way more experienced and have a lot more snaps in you know, to his name. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I think that's only going to help him. And so that's, that's kind of where I think that Buckner's the, the the best approach right now.
0: No, I agree. And it, it's, it's almost, you can't even over-exaggerate how much each game and each snap means to Buckner's development. I mean, he has little to no experience. He played that one year, but that's it's not nearly the- playing big time college football and seeing what we've seen from him already. The sky is absolutely the limit. So just get him in there, let him do his thing. And we've seen the flashes of brilliance. And then we've seen the flashes of not so good, but like I said, you're going to have that with freshmen. So I don't mind that at all. And my whole thing has been, if, if Buckner's the guy next year, you're going to commit to Buckner being the guy, then his first start, his first start, you play him the whole game, let him do his thing. It can't be at the shoe against Ohio state. It just can't to get what by 40 so (laughs) get the experience this year notre dame isn't going to win a national championship this year they're not going to make the playoff this year so play towards the future of course go win a nice bowl game go 11 and 1 do that but at the same time get your how you want to be the starter for the next two two or three years years and then go build something with them
1: yeah no absolutely and you know it's it's hard to ignore that, you know, maybe the, maybe the team even or the coaching staff wanted to do this prior to this game. I mean, Buckner also missed a game this year with a hamstring injury. So he had not only was he dealing with the lack of a senior season and only playing one season of high school ball, but he comes in, um, he did get the early entry, you know, spring snaps, which was great. Um, You know, but then, I mean, I think I mean I know when when he when he came in for that Toledo game, we were all shocked. None of us knew it was going to happen. I think the media might have been might have been, you know, sort of given a an idea of sorts, but they didn't really release that to the public. Um, And then he comes in and he looks, you know, he looks really good in that game when no one was really expecting it, obviously. And and then he gets hurt, and you're like, okay, so that I, I just I just get this weird feeling that. If he didn't get hurt, this might, then this maybe would have gone quicker. Um, and then on the other side of it, now you have the bye week coming. You have two weeks where you can, ascend, assuming he's healthy. I know he was dealing with the ankle injury um, after, uh, you know, like whatever he did last week. But um, you know, you you almost get this feeling that they were hoping to get to the bye week and give him two strong weeks of practice, where where he's the guy. Um, or at least semi the guy um, I'm going to fully move away from Jack Cohen. And this can almost maybe be like an Everett Golson, uh Tommy Reese type of uh, quarterback situation. And Tommy Reese is obviously very familiar with that as, you know, being the guy that was in that position. And now the right. offensive coordinator for maybe the same thing. Um, so you wonder if uh, I'm, I'm sure he didn't like it as a player, but I wonder as a coach, if he's able to step back and say, Hey, that was the best, route for that specific program and obviously i think that was the year that they went you know 12 and 0 and went to a national championship um if i'm not mistaken there and you know i'm not saying they're going to go to a national championship this year they already have one loss so the road to the playoffs is already is already you know slim but you know maybe he thinks that this will be the best route for this team is ride jack cone in situations like the two-minute drill um you know, and at the end of the game, like last week, uh, maybe you throw a couple wrenches in there with him when Buckner has kind of helped the running game, and and now all of a sudden the the defense is sort of gashed, and they bring in Cone to get a little bit more accuracy and a little bit more downfield attack. Um, but then you ride Buckner for you know essentially in between the in between the twenties, um, you know, on most uh, series. Um, and, and see how that and see how that works.
0: Yeah, I think it's totally possible that that's what they do. And I like the idea of going into the bye week, and he gets two weeks to really learn and not have to necessarily prepare for the next team. I mean, you have to prepare for USC, of course, but this whole week just learn more about the offense, learn more about yourself as a player. Just I, I, the bye week comes at a perfect time, and I feel like we say that every year because it tends to happen that way. I mean, the the guys that make the schedules aren't idiots, but um, it comes at a great time for, for the health of the team. I think it comes at a great time for the quarterbacks. Uh, Michael Mayer is going to be healthy. He's going to be big down the stretch. So uh, this is a huge bye week for Notre Dame in general. And I think we might see um, – I hope Buckner starts the game against USC. Do you think that would be too much, you know, a night game against USC? Is that, is that too much for his first official start?
1: No, I mean, I think,
0: you know, I think me and you are both in agreement that at the
1: very least he should be the, the main guy. In this in this fifty fifty split of sorts, um, yeah. if not the only guy uh, on board with at the very at the minimum, you know, in a single like the Golson Reese show where Golson plays, you know, eighty five percent of the snaps, um, or Buckner I guess in this scenario plays you know eighty five percent of the snaps, and then you know Cone is really only there for injury purposes and and areas where you think he could, you know, help the – help and whether that's two-minute drill, whether that's – Buckner just needs a rest because he's, you know, he's had a few bad series in a row. And I need to talk to him on the sideline with with the coaching staff and and kind of get, you know, back up or something, whatever it is. You know, I think at the very least that's what it should be. I'm not 100% convinced. I – assume that Jack Cone will probably be under center to start the game against
0: USC. I figure that too, and I think, yeah, we're just kind of wishful speaking at the moment, you know, what we'd like to see, and of course it's going to be more entertaining for us to see the young guy. Everybody always wants what's next, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it is if it is Cone, that's cool, and in a way I do feel bad for him that if this is a normal year where Notre Dame has an outstanding offensive line, he's probably lightened it up, but it's just not how it is right now, and that it's a tough situation for him, but at the same time, Notre Dame has to do what they need to do to win. And if that's Buckner, so be it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where Pine comes in. And that's why a lot of fans are kind of upset. I, mean, I remember I put out a um, a poll um, – not a poll. I put out a tweet um, about a, you know, a few days ago, whenever it was. Um, and so many people were calling for, for Pine to be the guy. And they just thought that Pine was kind of the best of both worlds. He can run a little bit. He can – Um, You know, maybe he's more accurate than Jack Cohn or is, or at the very least can, you know, maneuver around the pocket where, um, where Jack Cohn, when it's, he's kind of a statue, um, you know, for lack of a better word, especially with this offensive line. And so that's where I think maybe even for this year, you could argue that Pine's probably the guy that would give you the best opportunity to win games. Um, But, but like I mentioned earlier, it it just doesn't look like that's what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And everybody has, you know, their different perspectives on it. And everybody really liked what they saw in Pine against Wisconsin. It was hard not to, but at the same time, it goes back to what I said earlier. What is your perspective of the Notre Dame program right now? Are you happy with 10 and two every year? And, you know, you go to a decent bowl game or do you, do you want more? And I think, uh, I I think Buckner gives you the potential for more. So that, that's just my opinion on it. I know everybody doesn't agree, but.
1: Well, I think the idea of Pine too, is that he, more like, like Ian Book, he's probably Ian Book light. So we already saw yeah. what Ian Book could bring to the program over three years, and like you mentioned, I think me and you are two of the bigger Ian Book supporters out there. To be completely honest, I mean, he actually has an opportunity to have to find some success at the NFL level and in a at least in a backup sort of role. Um, you know, I don't think, especially with some coaching, I mean, he I think he's in a good situation with the Saints um, and Sean Payton um, to sort of get the best out of his ability. But Pine is only smaller than Book. I think he has a weaker arm than Book. Um, what I do like about Pine is that he does tend to get the ball out quickly. Just everything about him is more twitchy um, than Jack Cone of sorts. I mean, you just watch Jack Cone, and I think that's what people have been so upset with, um, especially with the offensive line play the way it's been. That there have been some plays out there where maybe not even a more athletic quarterback, but just someone that has a little bit more twitch to him gets, the you know, like has a shorter, shorter arm angle, you know, when they're throwing whatever. And and some of these some of these sacks, some of these fumbles and stuff like that could have been avoided. Um, So that part I like in Pine. But but everything about him just screams Ian Book light. He's not as good of a athlete. I think running the football, though he can you know do it a little bit. Um, he's and he's smaller, and I think he's a little less accurate and has a little bit less zip on, on his ball. So uh, I, I'm completely agree with you. I think overall Pine can can make this program their typical ten and two or eleven and one, maybe twelve and zero if all the stars align and they have you know
0: great athletes all over the field, great offensive line play, etc.
1: Um but overall you're I don't think you're winning the national championship with that at quarterback.
0: No, I don't think so either. And it, it just comes down to you know the playmakers around him and if he has the you know five or six five star receivers around him and get the ball in their hands, then great, but Notre Dame doesn't have that. So
1: Yeah. Another thing I wanted to get into um was was the young guys. You know, Kelly seems to get this this um this bad rap, I guess of sorts or bad rep. Uh, of not playing young guys and I mean maybe this year you can argue to an extent it's because he's had to but I think in some instances coaches would still be reluctant to do that Um, if even if you even if you almost had to you maybe you would turn to walk-ons whatever it is to to kind of keep those guys off the field Um, and to a certain extent I think we could probably even see more of some of the young guys like Lorenzo styles and Dion Colsey specifically, um, at wide receiver. Um, but at tight end with Michael Mayer out, you pretty much saw all the tight ends play, um, that were healthy, uh, last week. Um, obviously along the offensive line, Blake Fisher was the starter to start the season at left tackle. It looks like Joe Alt might be the starter the remainder of the season at left tackle. Um, which I think is just, a incredible story for him in regard to when he first committed to notre dame he was essentially a tight end that was learning to play offensive line albite with a tremendous uh dad that could teach him yeah. to play offensive line because he had the nfl bloodlines and and so on and so forth um but a kid that had to put on a lot of weight um and i think we all knew had you know, excellent upside, but probably wouldn't be a starter or a, or a player for Notre Dame until down the line. Um, but he looks like he might be the best option at left tackle this year. Um, and then not only that, but, you know, just you're you're, you're seeing a rotation at, at along the offensive line. It doesn't include Rocco Spindler, but you're starting to see guys like Christophic um, get into, get into action. You saw Logan Diggs this past week. I know you kind of put out a tweet that we were going to talk about Logan Diggs. So we'll bring him up, um, here in a minute. And then, and then I think on the defensive side, even though you're not necessarily playing like a bunch, a bunch of young guys, you are seeing some redshirt freshmen in there. You, you know, you have Clarence Lewis who started a lot of last year. He's playing a lot, obviously again, this year, you see cam Hart now taking over, over the job at corner. Um, you know, JT Bertrand's a starter now at linebacker with, with Leah out and his, has kind of probably been their best linebacker this season. Um, the rotation at, it, along the defensive line has a lot of young guys playing. I think for example, like Al, uh, Alexander uh, pr- played his most snaps of his career this past week, uh, which means he's, pro- he's trending up. So I don't know. I mean I know I know you're one that is maybe called for some of the younger guys even more than I have. What are your what are your kind of your thoughts on,
0: you know, some of the um what we've with some of what with the young guys playing? I think I've been impressed and I knew it was a really good class. I didn't necessarily so early. early. I'm glad, I'm glad they, they are because you are building up this this core of some really good recruiting <laughs> classes and get them experience early, even if it's not in a situation that's so uh you want to say you know, know some, some injuries, injuries and some lack of experience where your freshmen are beating out sophomores and juniors which isn't great but at the same time if they're if they're guys if they're dudes let's do it bring them in screw it you know they got three or four years now to really to be the dude so <clears throat> i'm all about it i like it a lot i just think there's so much talent in this class As some so Rocco has the potential to be, to be one of the best, best in this class. We've only seen Blake Fisher play in one game. Like, those guys are going to be absolute monsters. I think both NFL draft picks and Fisher potentially even a first-round draft pick. So That hasn't been really tapped into in this class yet. I'm just so excited about it. And partially because I think you and I really got to study this class and got to know a good majority of these kids. So I, I definitely think that's part of it. I want to, I want to see them play. So uh, I'm really enjoying that.
1: But I think a really good example of playing the young
0: guys um,
1: to where maybe some of the Kelly haters of sorts should be kind of happy is just look at what happened with Xavier Watts. I mean, you see Lawrence Keys after the first game of the season decide to transfer, quit, quit the team and then and then ultimately transfer out of Notre Dame. Um, You know, Joe Wilkins goes down uh, this past week or, or the or I think prior to prior to the Virginia Tech game and then you know, they move Xavier Watts to defense because they feel so comfortable with the fact that Lorenzo Styles and Colsey and maybe even Jaden Thomas, if necessary, you know, can handle, you know, whatever snaps, you know, Watts or, or Wilkins would be getting. Um, So I think that's a really good indicator of how much the freshman class at at, um, receiver. And then I know Sibo Flemister is kind of in the, the Kelly doghouse and, you know, he had the four game suspension or, you know, I'm using air quotes here that people can't see, um, you know, that, that was handed out by, but <clears throat> you, um, you know, you, you we see Lo, Logan Diggs this week and it's, uh, you know, you look pretty good and, you know, you don't, you know, I, I'd still love to see Sibo in there um, if, if he's not in the doghouse 100%. Uh, we don't really know why he didn't travel to Virginia Tech per se. Um, but uh, if Logan Diggs is the, is the third guy and possibly even the second guy, if Chris Tyree's turf toe is going to give him a, a, an issue the next couple weeks, um, I think you have a guy that has showed that he can he can come in there and give you some some tough yards.
0: Yeah, definitely, and you know I, I really like what Sibo brings to the team and in that toughness, but at the same time, Kyron Williams has been proving the the ability to do that, and then you get a whole different skill set in Tyree, and then a different skill set in Diggs as well. And I really love the patience that I saw from him and running and you know kind of moving his blockers around with his with the hand that's not carrying the ball and just showing patience. It's like he's like a grown up dude, like he like knows what he's doing and. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like he's like an experienced guy. It reminds me of a younger Le'Veon Bell. I remember watching at Michigan state that, that patience. And I know that's really high comparison, but at the same time that patience that he runs with where he's waiting for the hole to open up. And then when it does, he has that burst and he can make a guy miss as well. He has, he has that little bit of wiggle, you know, as they say. So I'm really liking what I see from Diggs so far. I wasn't super high on his film. I know a lot of people were, I was not one of those people, but I'm really liking what I've seen. I think he's grown a lot already quickly under Lance Taylor.
1: It's funny you mentioned Le'Veon Bell, because I think a guy that had a similar build and similar style of play to Le'Veon Bell that I like to compare Logan Diggs to, um, and even body size it came out or, or when or um was uh is Matt Forte the, the former, you know, bears running back played for a couple other teams as well. Um, you know, Matt, I think Matt Forte coming out of college was like 6'1", 220. Um, And that's kind of what he played at, you know, for the majority of his career in Chicago. Um, and that's the kind of player I can see Logan Diggs kind of turning into, I'm not saying he's going to be Matt Forte at the NFL level, but, you know, certainly from a productive standpoint at the college level and, you know, the build the build he has, and um, at least the, the route running and the ability to be a a presence as a, as a, um, a pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, what he showed on his high school film, um, that, that's the kind of guy that, that Logan Diggs drew, um, kind of drew me towards, um, when I, when I first saw him play. And I mean, obviously we didn't really get to see him catch the football this past week. Um, you know, and he's still only a freshman. But, you know, if, if he turns into any of those two guys that we have mentioned, at least even from a light standpoint, then I, then I think we got to be pretty happy.
0: Yeah, I think you, you've got a dude, and he's showing it already. Uh, the moment's not too big for him. He wasn't worried about the crowd in Blacksburg or anything. He was pumped, and he, he didn't seem nervous or anything. He was just ready to go. So uh, that's what I like to see. And I'm ready to see that that wrecking ball and uh, Audrick estimate to thunder and lightning. Uh, let me see some of that.
1: Yeah. No. And and even, you know, moving towards that, I mean, I think Notre Dame people were maybe a little bit worried about what the Notre Dame running, running attack or rushing attack would be maybe post Kyron Williams. Um, everybody loves Chris Tyree, but you know, you always got to have that second back, especially when, when your main guy is, you know, a little bit on the smaller side, I guess, like, like a Tyree is, and you still want Tyree to handle kickoffs and stuff like that. So you want to be able to take the load off him um, in general, but, uh, you know, Jadarian Price, that guy of Texas that's coming in, um, you know, next year. I mean, I think he might even be better than than Diggs in, in SMA. and Estime. Uh, and he's he's a kid that I'm really looking forward to. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if being the, the number two guy um, along with Chris Tyree next year. I think he's that special.
0: Yeah, I think he's a stud. And I think that people were so caught up in the race for the the top three that everybody was saying. Saw, Gavin Sawchuck, Dallin Hayden and then Nicholas Singleton. But I, I think Jadarian Price is just as good, if not better, than a couple of those guys. I think he's better than Sawchuck. I think he's better than Singleton. I do think Hayden is probably the best running back in this class. But, man, I – Jadarian Price is the real deal. He's the truth. I think they'll find one, out one, one way or another.
1: I think the big thing with Jadarian Price, and a lot of people are starting to catch up on him now, he's had a terrific senior season. So he's one of those guys that if he went uh, – if he was uncommitted currently right now, Um, he'd probably, and he might even be receiving some of these offers under the table. I think me and, you know, um, at this point that just because a kid is committed somewhere and they're not necessarily reporting offers on, you know, on, on social media anymore, doesn't mean they're not receiving interest, um, and and getting offers. Um, some kids still like to put it out there just because it's kind of a confidence boost to themselves and what, and whatnot. Um, but others, and, and this is, I think the majority of kids that are committed unless they end up decommitting you know, you end up finding out later on um, that they received a, a ton of offers post uh, being committed somewhere. Um, and, and we always see this every year. I mean, a guy that um, Notre Dame has been on now for a little bit and is, you know, there's been some mention of him as the the quarterback out of Louisiana, Walker Howard. I didn't even know that Notre Dame offered him, technically speaking you know, until it was reported that he might be on campus a few weeks ago against Cincinnati and then obviously ended up having to cancel that trip. Um, you know, number one QB in the country, whatever it is, but Notre Dame hadn't – at least there wasn't a reported Notre Dame offer. And then now all of a sudden you go on the 24-7 sports website and now it shows that he has a Notre Dame offer. So um, wouldn't surprise me at all if Jadarian Price is a kid that has maybe picked up some of those bigger offers – um now that he's committed and now that he's having a terrific senior season and it also wouldn't surprise me if he moved up the rankings and was was higher ranked than guys like the, the three you mentioned singleton hayden Sawchuk, um and and certainly a guy that it, i think is is well in that class at this point i think when he first committed there were some question marks about him um maybe maybe ill-advised uh you know, thoughts or whatever, but, but I think he's, he's starting to prove in his senior season for sure that he, that he can be a dynamic player.
0: Yeah, he definitely can be. And uh, I think people, sometimes they get caught star watching and, Oh, this guy's only, only a four star. Why aren't we getting the five star? You know, if it's a three star, they want the four. And I I know it matters. And it it certainly does matter. You got to trust what the scouts and everybody sees, but at the same time, he's a dude and you can see that on his film. So he fits the Notre Dame offense. I think he's going to do great, and he's a great kid as well. No, absolutely, absolutely. I,
1: and and like you mentioned, I mean, I'm going to toot my own 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 Horton here for a second again. Um, I don't know if you remember the name Brock Bowers um, from the 2021 class. He was a tight end, defensive end out of California. Ended up committing to, to Georgia. Uh, I think it was about a year ago. I called him the number one kid in the class, uh, not just tight end, not just defensive end but I called him the number one kid in the entire country and he's, he's showing out for Georgia this year in a pretty big way. And I think he finished at like number 50 to 60 on 24 seven and was even like in like the 100 rankings. If you looked at the composite. So, um, you know, sometimes we're going to, sometimes we're going to get those guys right. And in that sense, I think I, I did. And then sometimes, you know, we're going to get it wrong. So, um, you know, who knows, I guess it, it, that, that's where I think I agree with you. Like, yes, yeah, certainly stars matter. Um, but at the same time, you know, a staff like Notre Dame specifically, you got to trust that when they bring in a kid like Logan Diggs, for example, even though he's a three-star, you know, look at the offer list, look at the teams that are in on them late, and, and then just trust the staff in general that they're not, you know, that they're trying to
0: bring in the best players possible. Yeah, and they definitely are. And you just got to trust, you know, the, they're going to miss on some and they're going to hit on others. And some guys are going to surprise you. Uh, can you imagine saying, what we're seeing, what we've seen from Kyron Williams after his first game, he dropped that pass, I believe it was against Louisville, and just looked so shook, and you're like, oh, man, this guy might not have it. He definitely has it. It just takes a second, and he's definitely a hit, and he wasn't a guy that wasn't even that highly ranked. So tr- trust the staff. That's something I've learned, and you know, sometimes I get frustrated, but they know what they're doing a lot better than we think.
1: Yeah, no, Kyron Williams is a perfect example. I mean, a kid that was a lower four-star guy, um, and now he's may, maybe the best Notre Dame running back since Julius Jones.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there.
1: All right. I don't think we could uh, – I don't think we can escape talking about the defense at least a little bit. Um, you know, obviously I think overall it's been a, been a tremendous season for them. Um, the big play is, is hurting them for sure. Uh, the injury bug is certainly not helping either with the, with the linebacker depth that they've had to kind of um, play into – and then, but I, I love the defensive line. Love pretty much everything about the defensive line. They have they have pretty much depth anywhere you want to, um, <laughs> anywhere you want to look. Um, and I think even like if, if you would have told me that five years ago, I would have laughed in your face that that the defensive line would look this good. I mean, I think they're honestly on the the Alabama level. Um, at this point, and at least maybe not in the sense that they're producing the NFL talent that Alabama is, but at least from a collegiate productive standpoint and guys that can, pro- that can produce at least in some way at the NFL level, they're sort of Alabama light and how they're turning out, you know, lineman after lineman right now, um, over the last several seasons in the draft. Um, and then also you just have this. This plethora of depth, where you're like, okay, so next year this guy is going to be the number one, and this guy who might not even be in college yet or just got to college is going to be the number two, and you're really excited about watching him. Um, And I think a good example of that is like Riley Mills. You know, you've had Jerry Tillery come through Notre Dame, and that now you've had now you have Adam Alola, you have. MTA who's now moved over to, to the strong side, defensive end side, you know, and then Riley Mills is behind those guys and, you know, and so on and so forth. But then you look past that, you got guys like Gabriel, Gabriel Rubio, who are both excited about, and it's just the list goes on and on. So certainly the, the defense, defensive line, I think is the strength of this team. Um, And then you kind of go into the secondary and I think it's definitely been a better secondary than we were expecting don't know if I would call it a strength per se. Obviously, Kyle Hamilton's the best player on the team, um, if not the entire country. Uh, but Clarence Lewis, he's gotten bit a few times here and there, but I think overall is a steady player. Cam Hart's looking more and more like he's going to be a stud over the next couple of years, and I hope he stays at Notre Dame over the next couple of years. Uh, Bracey just got his first interception. And then in reality, we haven't really talked much about that that extra or that second safety position. Um, I mean, Griffith had a few plays at the beginning of the season that we saw him miss on, D.J. Brown as well. Um, but I think ever since pretty much the Toledo game, I think from that second safety position specifically, the, the less you hear about it, the better.
0: Yeah, I agree. And they, it seems to be a revolving door. And I, I had such high hopes for Houston Griffith. and he just can't seem to get it figured out. The, what I, The way it's explained to me is, in the defense, you know, I've, I've researched it and I've, you know, I've watched a lot of film on the defense. Cause I'm not, I didn't play football. You know, I, I, I understand the game, but the, the nuances I, I try to really understand. And so Kyle Hamilton's that free range center field guy. So if you're Houston Griffith as a second safety, you need to be the tackling safety from what I understand. So he's the guy that needs to be going up and making hits and he just can't seem to do that. He's not a physical guy. And for whatever reason, I mean, he seems to play the ball well sometimes, but he also, finds himself out of position. So he needs to be able to just make big hits. And he hasn't seemed to been able to do that. And I don't know what it is. You got to get a a different guy in there. And I I like the prospects Notre Dame has coming in to potentially take over for him. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is on Griffith. I don't know if you share the same opinion as I do, but DJ Brown doesn't seem to be the guy. I don't, I don't know. Certainly you'd like to upgrade that spot. Um, but what I was really getting at is I think both guys
1: have been like overall fine this year. And that's why you haven't really heard their name as much over the last couple of weeks because they're playing a good enough game to where they're not standing out in a poor yeah. way. Um, but you bring up, it's funny you bring up the Kyle Hamilton stuff because it's, it's so weird. Cause I think in reality, it, first of all, Kyle Hamilton is just so versatile that I think at the NFL level, he's actually going to be more of like your strong safety type. Um, can move closer to the line of scrimmage if need be. Can blitz for you. Um, can just do a lot of different things. But at the same time, he's so athletic that he's essentially a free safety pl- in a strong safety body or in a linebacker body, I guess. And um, so, like I, I mentioned this to some of my Bears buddies the other day, and I know, and I know the Bears don't have a first round pick, but Kyle Hamilton I think would look so good next to a guy like Eddie Jackson because Eddie Jackson is just a guy that if if you have the other safety position just locked down, a guy that's going to make tackles, a guy that's going to like just be able to do what you need him to do, then Eddie Jackson can go out and be a ball hawk. And then on top of that, Kyle Hamilton can be a ball hawk. So like I just think that that like a, a duo like that would be so fun to watch at the NFL level, and that's why I'm so mad that Kyle Hamilton's leaving next year when the possibility of like a Xavier uh, Nwankpa could be at Notre Dame as a true freshman, and I'll he would be a true freshman if he ends up coming to Notre Dame and attends. But how fun would it be to watch a Kyle Hamilton Xavier Nwankpa do a for for at least one season at Notre Dame?
0: Yeah, that would be unbelievable. Just two of the best safety prospects Notre Dame's ever gotten, and two certified dudes playing next to each other it would be like cheating. I mean, that's a that's a legitimate no fly zone. People like to say that, but that's that's for real too. NFL guys, you can see it in Wangpa already that he's going to be an NFL guy and probably a very good one at that. So, you see a lot of Kyle Hamilton in him. So, you could have two Kyle Hamiltons running around out there essentially. That's I don't know how you lose, yeah. And another guy to maybe even think about, and this is the guy
1: Notre Dame. Um, you know, I back at the college level, and I think he, he probably could, but even De- uh, Devin Moore, I think, is gonna as the guy that's gonna uh, play early on for Notre Dame, possibly at safety, maybe as well um and even a devin moore next to 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 kyle hamilton for a season would i think would be really fun um but i mean some of that's caseful thinking it's hard to have you know two guys like on time um just from a recruiting standpoint especially at notre dame where the kyle hamilton's only come every couple years versus you know at alabama and ohio state when those types of guys are on the run on a pretty consistent basis um you know, Notre Dame has to Notre Dame fans have to kinda I don't wanna say um the guys like don't want to take when, when they when they get the Hamilton's Hamilton. when they get the Michael Mayers. Um and honestly, even the guys like Kyron Williams I think are few and far between to an extent. So when you get those guys, you know, you wanna <laughs> you better you better cherish them when they're on the field until
0: until they're gone. I I remember being the same way. I was a little bit younger, but with Jalen Smith, like I remember watching his last couple games. I was like, man, I'm going to miss this dude. And of course, I I mean, I was right. I I missed him a lot. And you're going to miss Kyle Hamilton running around out there next year when you know him gets beat deep. You're like, oh, this didn't happen last year. Right. And I think the fun
1: about it is obviously, I think it's becoming a little bit more common practice for some of these guys. Um, It seems. every year there's at least one guy even if it wasn't a Kyle Hamilton recruit where you just knew he was going to be a stud um but yeah. specifically at the linebacker position I mean they've pretty much gone from you know they went from Manti Teo to Jalen Smith pretty much immediately and then Jalen Smith turned into guys like Tevin Tevin Coney and and Drew Tranquil who I think are I think at this point very underrated Notre Dame players um and um so maybe a little bit of kind of like I mean, a little bit of a and you go to, you know, Jeremiah Usu Koromoa, who again wasn't the the star level recruit that a Jalen Smith or but turned out just as good, if not better, than those guys um at the NFL level. And you know, and then now you have Kyle Hamilton. I mean obviously Notre Dame always gets the gets the good time might be the cream of the crop there. Um to all the tight ends they've had, maybe at least since Tyler Eifert, for sure. And, but yeah, no, I think it really is. I mean, th- this specific staff since 2016 um, is starting to land more of those guys, and I think more guys are coming in the horizon on the horizon as well.
0: No, I agree. You can see you can see it already, and some of the some of the guys that Notre Dame's recruiting, you're like, oh, that's a dude. And I remember in classes before, you wouldn't you wouldn't really see that. Like this linebacker class has a potential. For a couple of dudes and that's what you really need those outstanding linebackers that are just going to really do it for you and yeah I can't wait to watch them and they're it's going to be unbelievable
1: yeah and and I think I mentioned this earlier with the defensive line and how you just like you can see far into like the future here on how the defensive line is going to just be stacked over the next you know three or four years and it's already been stacked for the past three or four years as well I think outside of the stars at linebacker that Notre Dame has had, it's starting to turn into a a terrific depth standpoint for him as well. And you see that with, with, um, you know, obviously the injury to Maris Leofau, you have guys like JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser and, and, you know, the Drew White has continued to be a really solid player at Notre Dame. But then beyond that, you know, next year you have Leofau coming back. Uh, everybody thought Prince Collie was maybe the top player in this Notre Dame class, especially, at least specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then next year, like you mentioned, you have guys like Jalen Sneed, you have Joshua Burnham, you got Nolan Ziegler, you got, you know, junior Tuli Halamaka coming in. And I think that might be the best linebacker class in the country. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, we're all, we're hopeful that Sonny Styles and and Drake Bowen are going to come in. And so now you're starting to see these, those classes kind of appear in and, and so many studs uh, coming in that it's not only turning into, okay, there's a few stars sprinkled in here and there, or that Notre Dame always has that one really, really good linebacker. But now it's becoming, hey, they might have three or four linebackers that they really need to put on the field at all
0: times. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm just thinking about all these names now and Coney, Tranquil and Tranquil's making his impact in the league now. Jalen Smith, Teo didn't really pan out in the league as much as we thought he would. But Owusu Koromoa, according to Pro Football Focus, he's like the highest rated rookie regardless of position. So yeah. are, are we talking about linebacker you potentially in the next four or five years once these guys all get through?
1: I mean, if you want to talk about it from a Buckus Award standpoint, I mean, at least over the last 15 years or so or, or 10 years, I should say, you know, they're up there. I mean, obviously, Teo won the Buckus Award in high school, won it in college. Jalen Smith, same thing. Jeremiah wusu won it his last year at Notre Dame. Wouldn't surprise me if someone like Leah Fow or Jalen Sneed or something like that. Um, ended up winning it when their time is done. I think Colley um, could get
0: both. He already has the one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, Colley's a, a good example of a guy that got in high school, so maybe he'll get it, uh, you know, at Notre Dame as well. So it's certainly, you know, maybe you maybe you want to see a little bit more production in the NFL from overall. I mean, obviously, I think the Jalen Smith injury plays a lot has a lot to do with the fact that he hasn't had the role he's he he maybe was capable of. <laughs> at the NFL level, but, um, no, I mean, but like you said, you're starting to see guys like Drew Tranquil and, um, you know, obviously Teo was in the league for a while, even though he wasn't great. Jalen Smith has still made a pro bowl. Um, Ousu Kormo looks like he's going to be an absolute stud and then all these guys behind him. So, yeah. And I mean, I think it's certainly, at least on the defensive side of the ball, um, from a one position
0: standpoint, linebacker certainly maybe deserves some of that praise. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I'm really, and- it has the potential to get even better. You had three linebackers go out this year, but guys slot in just fine and you have surprises and guys like JD Bertrand, who you didn't really know could ball the way he is and such a sure tackler. He's a playmaker and you have guys waiting in the wings, ready to be impact players too. So I I just can't wait for the, for the future of Notre Dame football, man. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah. And the funny thing about Bertrand even was the fact that, I mean, there were rumors of him being like a gray shirt or whatever, that Notre Dame doesn't really like to publicize or that they don't, usually do too often. Um, I think even Leifau was sort of in that mold um to an extent when they both landed. I mean, there was a lot of talk that they shouldn't even be offering those guys or, or, or getting those guys. And I think me and you specifically with with Leifau thought like, no, dude, like you always take the the Hawaii player that looks like he's trying to don't up. miss. At, never. Yeah. And and I think specifically with Notre Dame, I I, w- I would love to get a running count on some of the guys that they've landed late in the class that have turned out to be dudes. Cause I think that's one thing that this specific staff has done really, a really, really good job at is at the end of like, you know, you get into your senior season, a lot of kids develop just physically, they, they mature so on and so forth. And when Notre Dame is offering them to end a class, I think some people are like, okay, well they missed on some of their top guys. I think in general, it's not about missing on their top guys. I think it's about this guy showed too much as a senior that we couldn't, we couldn't not offer him. If that makes any sense. And, you know, I think Jeremiah was Cormo is a perfect example of that. They got him sort of late in the cycle from Virginia. Um, you know, Bertrand Leofal obviously look like guys that are going to be dudes in that sense as well. You know, I, I don't remember all the names that they have flipped um, late, but it seems like every time they flip a kid late, I think it has more to do with the fact that that kid was a stud as a senior And he essentially earned that Notre Dame offer versus, oh, we missed on this kid. So we're going to offer this kid and settle.
0: Yeah. And and every situation is different. And to assume that I think a lot of people assume, oh, this guy wasn't offered early. He didn't have the stars early on that they're bad players. And that's not true. What if you're stuck behind another D1 guy? You don't get your chance to shine until your junior or senior year. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case with some of these guys, but there's such thing as being a late bloomer as well. And, and just credit to the Notre Dame staff for grinding and analyzing film and looking at these guys late and making sure that they are takes. And you're like, you know what, we're going to take a flyer on this guy at the end. And you, you trust your staff and, you know, shout out to Brian Kelly, letting them take a flyer on a guy that they really believe in. And then, Sometimes it pans out for you in the cases that we've mentioned with Usu Koromo and Leofau, and sometimes it doesn't. But at the same time, you gotta, you got to count your wins and really enjoy them because Usu Koromo was a standout player at Notre Dame. He's looking to be outstanding for the Cleveland Browns, which in a way I can't stand, but I love the player. <laughs> and then you, you trust your staff, and it's going to pan out eventually. And I, I just like I like their approach. I like what they're doing. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's some late names in this class that we see just because of the COVID year and guys didn't get to play and maybe you didn't get to go visit them in person. There'll be some names that pop Uh, Igbenosan, for example, that Notre Dame seems to be heating up on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He was a guy they offered early
1: committed to Rutgers and looks like now they might be circling back there. Um, And, you know, and even I think maybe taking it a step further, I mean, you said development and stuff like that as some of this, you know, as some of these guys get into their senior seasons sometimes kids just commit elsewhere. And then for whatever reason, maybe a coach leaves, maybe the program's down. I mean, look at LSU last year when, you know, car, G was committed to LSU and then ends up, you know, circling back with Notre Dame. And that was a very late, a very late kid that they, you know, like they offered him early on, but they didn't land him, And then Notre Dame was kind of talking to him and then no one really knew. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's committed to Notre Dame. And then, you know, you look at Walker Howard this year, I mean, he was the num- number, number, number one ranked QB in the country. And now all of a sudden it's coming out that Notre Dame is, is on them and, you know, possibly going to flip them down the line. So those are kids that were already, you know, had the huge offer lists and, and, you know, things happen with, with whatever program they're at. And, you know, you know, and then they get a second life with a different program. Hey guys, Nathan here from the golden homers podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or growing on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses, exceptional quality meats Meetup Vegas is my hookup meetupvegas.com that's m-e-a-t meet, meetupvegas.com their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet pork chops and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib and you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks all the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer and it's cheaper than you think Check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code Irish10 at checkout to receive ten dollars off your first order. I know we want to start wrapping things up here. Real quick, we got to talk about your White Sox. Yeah. Um, I know, I know you're sad. I've been there, I get it. I mean, obviously my Cubs were able to pull it off for me in 2016, but in other years that they they did, they didn't necessarily get there. And especially in recent years, they weren't able to 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 get over that hump again. Um, you know, probably because the Dodgers more than anything, but, but, uh, um, no, I get it. Uh, but I want to hear your thoughts and then I'll kind of,
0: from my, from the outsider's perspective
1: that, you know, who, who obviously knows a little bit about baseball, I'll kind of give you my, 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 uh, thinking on it as well.
0: I mean, I can't lie. It's disappointing, um, to go through that five-year rebuild and get knocked out in the first round, two years in a row. I, I think Houston's a great team. It does suck to lose to a team that was not only accused, but, um, you know, admitted to, to cheating. I still can't really get over that with some of the players and, and Altuve and Correa and just kind of how they act and how they carry themselves. Um, it's frustrating to lose to them. I'd rather lose to just about anybody else. But at the same time, I've been kind of telling myself that this is the beginning of the 2022 World Series <laughs> DVD. So I'm going to I'm gonna carry that with me. And the White, the White Sox have their core locked down for a long time. Uh, some <laughs> trades didn't work out. The Kimbrel trade didn't work out. I hope Nicky two strikes is great for the Cubs, but um, Kimbrel looks like he's going to be on the way out. But at the same time, Tapera was great, even with his comments. So you'll take what you can get. I think the White Sox try to just you need a second baseman, you need a right fielder, and that's that's all you need. And this team will be right back in the same position. So hopefully, the Astros lose a couple pieces. Uh, I think Correa might be gone. That'd be great. He's a White Sox killer. I think the Sox are going to be right back. I mean, it's disappointing, but. Uh, I'm excited for next season already. I just wish it wasn't five or six months away. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of your thoughts. I mean, obviously, I agree.
1: with. I I don't watch the Sox, obviously, as much as as you do and, you know, and Sox fans do. I mean, I do tend to watch just baseball games in the background um, a lot due to my job and just other things like that. But um, my my biggest take with the Sox, and I think it kind of started becoming a little bit more um, evident, I guess, as the season went on. Is that they did sprinkle in some veterans. Obviously, I mean, getting Grandal, for example, and obviously you have Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson. I think for for all intent and purposes, at this point, is a, is a veteran. He's not, you know, that young guy that hasn't been there and done that. Um, and then, I mean, I think in the outfield a little bit, you guys had had some some veterans that maybe weren't great players, but have, again, they've they've been around the block to an extent. Um, and then certainly the pitching staff with guys like Lance Lynn um, Dallas Keuchel, even though he hasn't necessarily worked out as well as I think White Sox fans have wanted. Um, and then certainly the bullpen, um, you know, especially after the trade for, for Kimbrell and Tapera and stuff like that, you had a veteran, veteran bullpen overall. Um, but one of the things I thought, and I'm going to bring up the Cubs here and I know you hate, you hate to say this, but I still think a lot of similarities from the, you know, the 2015, 2016 Cubs are, are for this team specifically because a lot of their players are homegrown. Yeah. Um, I do think the Sox are missing maybe that one or two veteran presents that the Cubs added to where they were able to get over that hump. And I think the Sox will, will make those adjustments, you know, this year, next year, whenever it is. And, and you know, I'm not saying they're going to win a world series, winning a world series I think is a lot harder than people want to give it credit for. Um, but they I think they're going to be around for a while as a team that certainly keeps a lot of these guys locked up. They already have a lot of these guys locked up. Um, but but one thing the Cubs were able to do like when they landed John Lester, Jason Hayward didn't necessarily work out. But when they landed him, that was supposed to be sort of you know that veteran presence. Ben Zobris, you can't he's a hard guy to forget. They they got lucky and they hit on a guy like Arietta, um, you know. And some of those guys that were they weren't they weren't as young of a team as I think people thought they were during the during those World Series runs and I think if the White Sox can maybe find that like veteran second baseman and, or find that veteran outfielder Marcus um, Simeon, exactly. Like, yeah, a guy like that. I mean, any, maybe even a Corey Seager, if he's willing to, I mean, I don't think he's willing to come off shortstop. And I think that's partly one of the reasons why he's going to leave the, um, leave the Dodgers. But, but just like that, maybe that one more guy that maybe has won a world series or something like that, that, that can come in and, and get the job done. Um, you know, fix up the bullpen a little bit. Like you said, I think they're gonna pick up the option on Kimbrel and then try to ship him is sort of the 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 word around the street, I think it right now. But I think re-signing to Para would be would be a really good uh thing for them. And then maybe going out and getting another guy uh to help out in that pen would, would be nice as well. Um, but but again, like I just think the the veteran presence thing there will help. Um and and, and like you mentioned, this team's not going away. Um and I hope not. Yeah. we'll and we'll get into the Cubs and stuff a little later. I mean, I've, I'm hearing some Carlos Correa stuff to the Cubs that I'm really, uh, really interested in. Um, and I think they, they might not be necessarily back on top here soon, but they, that's a team that we could at least bring up. Uh, as I know a lot of our followers are probably Cub fans as well. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that, that sort of was my take on the white Sox as, the, as, especially as the year went on and you guys dealt with some injuries, I just really thought that a lot of those guys were really getting their feet wet for the first time. And, um, at the uh you know at the mlb level and i think that plays a role um and and losing some of these games especially against and i know you hate it but it's the astros they do uh they they cheated their way to a, a world series we all believe that and, and know that but they but at the same time they had a very veteran team that a lot of those guys have have been there and done that and won a world series and and so on and so forth so that that's a hard team to to play uh um, especially when they had home field advantage and yep. it's, that's a hard team to play first round. Cause, cause you know, they're gonna, you know, they're probably going to be able to put up some numbers.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, you come you combine that with, you know, the White Sox got complacent, didn't get home field advantage, even though it was close down the stretch. And then you, you average like a 10 ERA or like, <laughs> there's like 10 innings pitch or something like that. And like a 12 ERA, I got, might have the numbers flip, but you can't have that from your starters it was like no i'm sorry it was 12 it was like 12 innings pitched and like 10 runs allowed from your from your four starters like how you can't have that this white Sox starting pitching was supposed to carry them and it just didn't happen so i think uh some changes are in order i think LaRusse is coming back for for good or, or mm-hmm. for bad but uh i think the <laughs> Sox will be back
1: yep absolutely and we'll, we'll talk more about that i'm not sure Larus is the guy uh, he's not but, but uh I, I i doubt they fire him But we just saw we just saw what the Cardinals did to uh, to Schilt today or whatever, which I think was very surprising after after their run. But I doubt LaRusse is out after one year um, and uh, he'll be back. But uh, but uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Um, Obviously, I know we kind of went on a little bit of a tangent from a recruiting standpoint uh, this week. Um, to an extent and just some of the depth we didn't maybe get into too much of this team um, but at the same time I think we all agree that the the quarterback position is probably the, the biggest thing to talk about and that's what we, ch- we tried to get into mostly um, but we'll definitely be back next week obviously Notre Dame's on a bye um, so I've, certainly uh, our, our boy John and some other some other people we know can can relax this week and just watch uh, hopefully the college football world go up in storm or something like that. So there's, so we, so we realize that it's not just Notre Dame that struggles on a weekly basis. Um, so that would be fun to watch is to sit back and, and see some of that this week, but uh, we'll certainly be back next week. Hopefully. Uh, but we wanted to make sure we got a podcast out since we've been, uh, since we've been absent over the, the last couple of weeks. So Mason,
0: any, uh, any final words? No, just appreciate you guys listening. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, be back and come back stronger, hopefully more consistent life gets in the way sometimes, but we hope you're enjoying the content feel free to uh, leave a comment, leave a five-star rating and just let us know what you guys want to hear us talk about. We're open to anything.
1: Absolutely. And you can find us anywhere. Golden homers podcast. I'm Nathan. You can find me at Nathan underscore Urbach, and you can find Mason at Mason plumber. Um, that is a double M not plumber like the plumber. That's right. And, um, and mason plummer underscore um so again you're listening to the golden homers co- podcast leave us a leave us a review give us a rating um and you know maybe drop a comment or two to see what we, uh, to let us know what you guys want to hear on a weekly basis so until next time we'll see you then